Hi there, welcome to Dr. Reggie Podcast. Happy New Year. We've not really published any new episode since the New Year began, but it's good that we're here. On this episode today, we're going to be looking at leadership developments across the global space from America with the outcome of the elections, the capital being besieged, House of Assembly in Ghana turned to a boxing ring, and then back home here in Nigeria where the Ohanese Ndibu just elected their president general. What are the implications of all this for us in Nigeria and Africa generally. Those are the issues that I picked up on this episode of Dr. Reggie Podcast. Happy listening. We can't lose sight of uh, what has happened in our space in the last few hours. The year seems to just kick in with a sprint, especially on the political front. And I want to start that thought by saying that the developments in our political space from the fallout of the NSAS protests, the political you know, shenanigans that's going on, the campaign, the chairman of INEC has just been given another term, the debate as regards electronic voting is still raging, and then just as we we're just you know, going into the new year, the developments in the U.S. elections and tweets, posts, Facebook, Instagram, social media just went ablaze. But for me, this development actually doesn't raise any kind of new questions. They basically amplify the frequently asked ones. My take on all this is what are the implications for Africa? What lessons can we learn? What new things is this raising for us? How do we approach things differently? Or do we just continue? Because uh, from my perspective, we approach leadership issues in Africa as if we never had leadership in any form or shape or kind until colonization. But we know that that's not true. We had a life. We had a structure. We had culture, we had tradition, we have, you know, ways by which we relate with ourselves before colonization. But colonization did something to us. And it's so sad that we still talk about colonization 2021. Because all the books and principles and all this kind of thing that we've read over the years, very few of this, even when we have them, which is on leadership, the development, the practice, the narratives of it, the principle, the values of it, even when we have resources that are African-born, African-originated, we still discover that most of the principles shared there are not anchored on anything that is African. I don't want to bother you with a lot of principles, academic principles today, but when we look at leadership study over the years from the 1800s there's a very beautiful material done by one robert clinton you know leadership series a short history of leadership theory by robert clinton it was actually published in 1992 but it kind of traced it from the 1800s when you look at it because he broke it down into phases and he said that the foundation of leadership he actually targeted the great man era from 1841 to 1904. When you look at that very foundation of leadership, for me, it sounds so African. 
because we as Africans we we look at leadership from a heroic kind of perspective from greatness kind of perspective who is that great man who is great woman we looked at the story of the Motans. we look at the story of Queen Aminaz we look at the story of Morimis you know even on the political front our leadership has always been named greatness kind of oriented but over the years we discovered that we've shifted especially because of colonization and my focus of interest in this in this new year as much as I don't celebrate calendars is I'm getting more and more interested in history like we've said in some of our programs before that that quote by that Greek philosopher you know Santayana we, you know who said that those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeating it so I've taken my time to kind of you know focus on history the level of interest that was actually generated across the globe especially in Africa by the happenings in the US elections outside of the US especially in Africa we sort of approach these issues that the elections as they are panning out in America has this tremendous significant effect on Africa I don't want to deny that because I'm a global person that whatever happens I believe that we live in a globalized world I believe in the butterfly principle that when the butterfly flaps its wings in the Amazon it might result in an earthquake far away maybe in California or something like that so I understand global realities but the way we talk about the elections in America it's as if it's an election in a local government in Lagos state or maybe in a local government in Plateau state and we talk about it and the effect it has on us with so much with so much lack of shame it's as if we've accepted it as the norm it's as if we become helpless someone sent a radio clip to me today i think it's a particular report on i don't know whether it's voice of america or something that the saudi arabian government just decided sovereignly in fact that's what they call it it's a sovereign policy to cut oil production by a million barrels per day so that the price of oil can go up and the prince the crown prince in saudi arabia said that he's doing that to help all oil producing countries now that's influence why i don't want to dwell too much on that because it might just take us off tangent but i really want us to look at leadership and the way it's emerging in africa and you know that the focus of this program has always been on emerging leaders we've accepted the fact that our lives our well-being in africa will continue to be determined by what happens outside our shores but this is something i want young people out there to begin to confront the status quo the the current set of leaders in nigeria in africa it's as if they've accepted that i've made this analysis before when we have elections in africa europe and america will send election monitoring teams to us do we send to them when they have their own elections another case in point COVID-19 which is still raging or said we are in the second wave right now it's a known fact Africa has recorded the lowest in terms of cases and casualties 
while we were in lockdown in Nigeria, I have an app on my phone, you know, flight radar, where I actually use it to monitor flights. And I looked at flight radar, the whole of African airspace was empty. There was no plane flying. We shut down our airspace. But I looked at the airspace in America and Europe, where, which is the epicenter of the pandemic. Their airspace was open. Business was still going on. We shut down our businesses here. Why is it that something that has really... Because if we look at Africa as a continent, we can't say COVID is a pandemic. Nigeria, close to 200 million people, up to this time, first wave, second wave, we have not recorded up to 2,000 in casualties. Second wave has pushed the numbers to maybe about 90,000 in terms of cases. And when you look at the recovery rate out of the 90,000, we are looking at maybe like 75, close to 75,000 recoveries. Why is it that every time we have this tendency to always put on ourselves problems that are not ours, even when we've been delivered from those problems? Let me continue to run. My takeaway from all this is this reality. There is now what happened in America last night. Regardless of how that thing was dealt with, there is the reality, the, the, the screaming voice right now is that there is a global leadership deficit and no nation, no continent, no culture is exempt. Someone posted that America has been, they've been dragged to the mud. Now that's given the fact that that statement basically says that you believe that America was never in the mud. I don't know the empirical basis for that kind of a conclusion. But the fact is, there is a global leadership deficit from how COVID was handled. UK currently, they're in a lockdown. There is a global leadership deficit. And Africa can, cannot continue to look at a savior from another place. We can begin to seek a messiah that's going to come and solve all of our problems. Second reality that I'm picking from this is that when we look at our problems right now in Africa, and I'm looking at Nigeria in particular, we have that recurring paralysis of analysis over very, very important issues. Globally too, when we talk about racism, we sort of analyze and analyze. We speak a lot of grammar. We have a lot of personalities come talk about it. The problem is still there. Sportsmen, they take a knee before they start playing, which is very repulsive to me personally, because I don't see that solving any kind of problem. When we talk about our tribal issues in Nigeria and in Africa as a whole, we sort of again overanalyzed it. And then it gets to a point where we don't even want to talk about it again. We can't deny the fact that we are different people. We are diverse. The whole world at the time agreed that slave trade, racism, and the attendant maybe colonialism, it was a joy to be unacceptable. If colonialism, which means that foreign nations come and exert or force leadership, so to say, domination on another nation, if we have a judge that to be unacceptable, how come we're kind of very economic with the truth, with the reality? 
How do we expect a European American, for instance, to effectively govern African Americans or vice versa? If for me in Nigeria, it's impossible for a Hausa Fulani man to govern Igbos. It's impossible for a Yoruba man to govern Hausa Fulani because it's not leadership is not just about competence. It's also about context. It's also about relationship. We will continue to deceive ourselves because we, we heard about all the clamor for rotational presidency. As if competence is based on tribal identity. These things will continue. We will keep asking questions that we don't have, that we already have the answer. We keep dancing around. It's called, that's what I call the paralysis of analysis. We can't have leadership that is not from the same kind of people. Even Christianity, which I proudly subscribe to, God was going to solve human problem. He didn't come as God to solve human problem. He came as a human being. God had to be a human being. It will take a Yoruba man to govern Yoruba people. It will take an Igbo man to govern Igbo. You, you might tell me, yeah, but the governor of the Igbo states, the governor of the Yoruba states are Yorubas. The governor of northern states. But you know as well as I do that these governors, pardon my word, they are lame dogs. They are just employees of a central government. These governors don't really govern. Let me repeat this reality again to drive it home. I think Nigeria is the only country in the world with a political system where we have a state with a legislative arm, with a legislature that is saddled with the responsibility of making laws and those states don't have law enforcement agencies. And we've been talking about state police for so long. So we talk about colonialism, but we don't see that when a white man is trying to govern African-Americans or Asians in a place called the United States of America, it is still colonialism. When you have a house of Fulani trying to govern someone as far away, as far from where he is, let me like in Bielsa State, it is still a form of colonialism. But when we talk about leadership, if this leadership is going to be carried out by humans, there are some timeless principles of leadership. If this leadership that we're looking for is not going to be carried out by angels or by aliens, it's going to be carried out by humans, there are some timeless, borderless principles of leadership that works in every context, in every culture, in every country, in whatever kind of space where humans are. So, Because leadership is about organizing humans for productivity, for commonwealth, for, you know, for security and all that. They are the timeless principle. And for me, maybe it's like a triplet because it basically, basically means the same thing. Service. That is the foundation. The primary purpose of anyone seeking to lead is that you want to serve people. And if you are going to serve, it must have the connotation of sacrifice. That is, you are going to let go of some things without really doing it for anything in return. And if you are going to sacrifice, your service must be selfless. Service, sacrifice, selfless. Now, when you put that within our context here, you discover, you now see the reason why you have portals on the road. Why you have power outages. The reason for that, regardless of any kind of analysis you might want to put into it, someone who claims to be in leadership, is not serving 
And even when they serve, that service is not sacrificial. They might couch the sacrifice in any way. If sacrifice is not selfless, then it's not sacrifice. And without sacrifice, you can't serve. But this is the catch. All these service, sacrifice, selflessness. You can disagree with me. But they mean different things in different cultures. They mean different things in different cultures. That doesn't mean that the meaning of these words change, but how they are practiced in different cultures because of their history, because of their experience, because of how those cultures evolve, these timeless principles need to be contextualized. For example, if you put service, if you call someone a servant in Nigeria, it's demeaning. It's condescending. It's disrespectful. It's not something that is glorified. It's not something that is respected. Nobody wants to be a servant. And that means it's because of our culture. It's because of our history of slavery. If you call someone, for instance, oh, that's my driver. It doesn't mean someone who is just driving a car. It now goes into identity. It goes into, oh, someone who sits in front. And then in Nigeria, someone sits at the back who is the big boss. So service, servant. If you call someone a civil servant, it goes straight away that the guy is paid very paltry sum in terms of salary. We just use these words now. Sacrifice now is, I mean, if you call someone a servant, maybe it's a house boy. If you say it's a domestic servant. And that's why we've used different names for different occupations. For instance, people don't like to be called a tailor. They'd rather be called a fashion designer. You know, because Africa, because of our colonial heritage, our slavery, we are always looking for ourselves. We're always looking for respect. We want to be respected. It doesn't matter, you know, how we respect ourselves. If other people don't show us respect, we still don't feel important. This is because, again, we continue to consume literature from Europe, from America, and we're attempting to practice these principles which are timeless, which are borderless, in ways which are foreign to us. For instance, someone sent in a question to me. She said in 2020, one of the most talked about leadership trends was the need for increased culture of accountability. And she said, looking at Africa, will you say that this trend was successfully implemented in various political spaces? <laughs> and when I see this kind of question, it brings to me, let us look at our political you know, structure here. We elect a president, and then we now call the president Baba, or father of the nation. He's our father. We are his children. And I remember I did a post on Facebook. Is Buhari our father or our president? So you begin to see how these principles play out in cultures. If Buhari is our father, that is very much consistent with our culture. And now, if he's our father, we can't demand accountability from him. Because fathers know their responsibility. They don't have to be reminded. I'm talking now in ideal situations and in our culture. 
A father doesn't need to be reminded that the kids need to feed. The kids need to go to school. He needs to pay their fees. He is responsible. But if he's our president, because this presidency thing is borrowed, you want to demand accountability from the president, his spokesperson will come out and say that you are disrespectful. How can you talk to the president like that? You can't even call his name. If you go to America, if you go to Britain, they don't call, you know, President Trump. They call him Donald J. Trump. Even the youngest call him by name. But here, you want to call a governor, you must, you must have a title. You must have, first of all, put his excellency, distinguished senator. It's because we are in a kind of a culture conundrum. We are confused culturally. So we need to begin to find clarity. There is no way within our current, for example, we signed the Freedom of Information Bill. How many Nigerians know how that bill works? So the question we need to be asking ourselves is, what does service look like? Or how is service perceived in our own culture, in our own context? How does our history and contemporary realities shape our understanding or expression of service? What are the hindrances if we are going to have this very popular leadership principle taught all over the world, servant leadership? How do we do that? How do we practice that? How do we use an African brush with an African paint, African color, to actually paint all that so that it can look like us? Because servants are not respected here. That's why in Nigeria, you never hear this as a refrain that maybe General Gowon served Nigeria. General Babangida served Nigeria. Buhari served Nigeria. Or, but it's always Babangida ruled Nigeria. Gowon ruled Nigeria. Now, there is nothing wrong in ruling. But we have to accept it. That this is the way we are. If you are going to rule me, there are contents of responsibility. There are things that the ruler must do for the ruled. And then the ruled must now respond to the ruler with certain responsibilities. It is still a relationship. There is still medium to be heard and medium to speak up, even in an atmosphere of rulership. So we need to ask ourselves those kind of questions. What are we talking about when we say service? You hear people talk, professionals say, I don't want to work in that place again. I'm just being used. But there are some other instances where naturally we feel that particular desire to be of use to people. And that's where we find fulfillment. But when we use our culture to wrap all that, we don't like being used but we want to be useful. So I always ask the question when I teach leadership, are you being used or you are being useful? Are you in servitude or you are providing service? There are other instances, there are other narratives that I want us to actually talk about. We talk about power grabbing. People grab power, either by military coup or by rigging election. I want to add another one. Power gripping. 
when even whether it's either by ballot or whatever you find yourself in a position even using the word power itself it throws up some other kind of questions power where is authority because the person in power is there because he's been authorized to use the power to serve that's a whole mouthful there so power grabbing and power gripping we talk about succession so someone you know sent in this question again and he said let's look at transition of power succession handing over he said with the noise and downturn of event witness you know by millions all over the world pertaining to trump and his adamant refusal to concede to defeat and foster a smooth transition of power he said, what's my view on this i don't have any view on this he said, considering the U.S. is one of the greatest countries in the world, what power? How do you think this will affect third world countries? See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Someone refused to concede, you know, defeat in, in America and we're quaking. Is that a lesson for us to learn from this? Of course, yes. Because when you talk about power grabbing, power gripping and all this kind of thing, I believe we need to put these things in proper, proper cultural context. I'm going to answer all this question because she threw in a lot in here. He said, irrespective of electoral mishaps, is it right to cling to power however which way a person loses his or her leadership role? Maybe I need to throw this in. If it's a real leadership role, it's not something you know to actually hold on to. He said, how do we still instill transparency in leadership and electoral processes in regions alive like Africa that are not fully advanced technologically now? Maybe I'll start from the last one there. This is my personal opinion and i think i've been very consistent with this africa even if we advance technologically 20 times over because i believe with the technology that we have it might be very bad it might not be up to date technology lack of it is not the reason why we can't carry out electoral processes the reason we can't execute any kind of electoral process is because of who we are africans by nature we don't elect leaders we can't elect leaders and the reason we can't because over the years the way our political experience have developed we have not in any way consciously intentionally you know create establish a political structure system that works for us what we are operating is a cut and paste is a copy and paste it's not homegrown it's still we are still copying the democratic i'm not saying there's anything wrong with democracy as much as i don't like the definition i don't know who came up with that definition i need to check it again government of the people by the people for the people there is an assumption in that definition that is a society that the people are highly politically conscious. They are educated. There's a level of awareness of what is expected of them and what they need to expect from government. For example, in America, there's a saying that it is not just your right to demand accountability from government. It's a duty. So you see that that's a politically conscious environment. We are not here in this climb we just trust leaders and what we've seen that because of the political system that we operate leaders take advantage of the trust and they've used that trust to 
hurt the people. So what lessons do we need to learn from all this? Trump not conceding is something that is woven into their system. That he doesn't, he has not conceded. And as we speak here on this program, the Congress in America, they've certified the election of Joe Biden and he's going to be sworn in later this month. So he's not conceding, he's not stopping anything. But conceding is just something that is civil. And that's the reason why somebody like Goodluck Jonathan still occupy a very respectable, you know, kind of place when we talk about, you know, about our political development in Nigeria today. There is no constitutional provision that he has to concede. It's just civilized. But are we that politically civilized in Nigeria or in Africa? I've said this many times and I'm going to repeat it. Democracy and the attendant electoral processes has killed more Africans than malaria. We can check the statistics. Tribal ethno-religious crisis in Nigeria, they are always connected to politics. Because the one who has the political power has unrestricted access to the resources that belongs to all of us. So everybody, we just want to have it. That's a very long question there, and it, that is why I have that kind of a long answer. But what's happening in America is just a wake-up call for us. It's not something that should give us sleepless nights. But to begin to look inwards and say that democracy is on the ropes. Democracy is failing. Because over the ages, we've, humanity, we've seen it as the best form of government. It might have worked in certain contexts. But I don't think. When I look at the culture of Africa, the way we relate as humans, you know, our tradition, I don't think democracy, the way it is practiced in the West, will ever work for us. We need, there's a book I'm going to recommend again. It's called Homegrown Solutions. Maybe it's going to be on our website, answerswithdrreggie.org. I'm going to post the correct link there, maybe on our Facebook page. I think you can actually get a free PDF download of that. I think I can actually put the link of the free PDF there. Homegrown solutions. It's actually the story of what happened in Rwanda after the genocide. It would be a good one for you to read if you are an imagine, imagine leader. I'm going to be doing some rhetorics that you imagine leaders out there need to begin to ask yourself. Your understanding of leadership. What are the narratives? What stereotypes? What belief systems? you know, really guide those kind of narratives. I'm trying to check something on my phone that someone sent to me today so that I can put this in proper, proper perspective. This person said that the lack of concession by Trump, he said, it drags the country backwards, drag into the mud. And I said, that's a perception because our perception is really our reality. I made mention of those three S's of timeless leadership principles. Service, sacrifice, selflessness. I want to ask you this question. If a leader serves selflessly and sacrificially and mentors others and develops them into service positions in a succession arrangement, I'm going to repeat that. If a leader serves selflessly or is serving selflessly, and it's quite obvious, I really want you to think along with me and sacrificially. And this leader is very gracious to the extent that he mentors others, maybe younger ones, and develop them into service 
put them in positions in a succession arrangement? Where will the issue of tenured leadership fit in that arrangement? Because we talk about power grabbing and power gripping. Somebody has stayed in power for, for 30 years. If the person has stayed in power for 30 years and the nation grew economically, socially, politically, there is commonwealth. I hope you guys know that as we sit here and talk, the president of China has just, just you know, adjusted their constitution for him to govern the country for as long as he lives. 1975, China was a poor nation. You know, fast forward. Today, as of the last time I checked, their GDP per capita is about $6,000. In 1975, I think it was about $25. So when we talk about succession planning, when we talk about handing over, tenured leadership, we, we come, we sound to ourselves like we're very intelligent, that we're current, that we're very, very, you know, right in tune with current leadership realities. Because that is how it works in other climes. Please hear me out. I am not advocating for a seat-tight kind of leader but my issue with leadership in africa is our own african narratives about leadership if a leader is going to serve until death and person makes the nation prosper on all fronts where with the issue of tenure do we just continue to rotate for the sake of rotation remember please i am not making any proposition i'm just stirring up thoughts in our quest to actually discovering, finding out, creating a leadership system that works for us. Where would the issue of tenured leadership fit in that whole arrangement? I am not downplaying tenured leadership. And I'm not saying that, that we have a leader that's going to serve for four years and another one comes. We know that hasn't worked for us. We've spoken about many times there's no continuity in our leadership. Yeah, because we always do for four years. And this guy comes and starts his own kind of thing which he doesn't have enough time to do. It's not working for us. We know what has in work. Why don't we try some other things? But let me wrap this up by saying that if we are going to govern any kind lead any kind of people we must be able to walk in the shoes of those that we are governing and the government must also be able to walk in the shoes of those who are governing until governance is so close to the governed which is really absent right now in africa we won't see that development that holistic development that we all desire so much to chew the journey is long but definitely achievable. Thank you very much for hanging out with me on this episode of Dr. Reggie Podcast. Let's continue the conversation. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Reggie Musings, on Instagram, Dr. Reggie, on Twitter, Dr. Reggie, and we can be listened to on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a host of other podcast spaces. Please follow me and uh, drop a comment, drop a question, and I'll be glad to continue this conversation with you. Thank you again for listening. Bye-bye.